My name is Naya and I'm from Oxford, England, and my dad loves film cameras. Yo! Hey, I'm thrilled to be here at the Finlay Inn and Conference Center in the Presidential Suite, back at the Presidential Suite, still here at the Presidential Suite. The red carpet gets rolled out every day. I wake up, I walk out into the hallway, and the <laughs> carpet's like, <laughs> it's like, Mr. Rasso, your uh, continental breakfast is ready. Here's your slippers <laughs> and your paper, like, sir. Are sausages today or bacon? <laughs> <laughs> Bacos. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here broadcasting from beautiful downtown Finlay, Ohio. Of course, with native Ohio. Well, maybe not. No, you're, from, you're from New York. From East Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Mr. Matt Marash, everyone. Hey, how's it going, guys? Ms. Leslie Lazenby. Leslie Lazenby, <laughs> who is an Ohio native. And off microphone, Lauren Bagley. You are. She's an Ohio. She's native. Ohio native. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to. I want to thank everyone for listening in. I'm. I'm really appreciative of folks that listen. We Could you maybe ama- try that without that date in your mouth? I'm eating. I'm eating an an organic medjool date from a Taste of Dawn health food store in Butler, New Jersey. Yes, I put this in my travel bag. Good dates. Good mm, they're good, aren't they? Yeah, very oh, sweet. It's great to be here, and I want to thank everyone for listening to the show. Uh, we have an amazing audience, and I'm amazed how many people, you, myself, Leslie, Matt, Lauren, that we know, you know, like, they're just like, it's like a, it's like a mini cast of characters Isn't we have here at the FPP. It is. And it really, it feels like a, it really feels like a community. That's why. Our little family. It's all about hanging out and just chatting about what we're doing. Yeah. And that's very much what our listener letters are. Letters telling us, oh my God, I just discovered this camera. Oh my God, I bought a 420 and and I just loaded it with film and I can't believe... Like, it's about just going out there and doing and and what we're trying to do is to get everyone as enthusiastic as we are about shooting film. And that's what it's about. It's about nothing else, really. So when we have our meetups, those are incredible days because when you actually meet, you know... All these folks. All these Mm -hmm. folks. it, it It is indescribable because... All of a sudden, like all everything lines up, and you're in the room with those people who have been listening to the show, feeling like they've been part of it. Yep. Because they are in many, many respects. What show? And for the most part, that's why everyone's so excited. That's why sometimes the last shooting doesn't get done. It's just everyone it, sits standing around talking. Yeah, exactly. Just getting to know one another. Yeah. Because, I mean, we already know everything about each other, about each other but we just mm-hmm. get into it a little bit yeah. more. Yeah. So, and I, I always think of um, uh, what is the large format meetup that happens every year? Uh, Photostock. Photostock is June. 20th through the 24th, I believe, 2013. Starts on a Thursday. There are also photographic workshops starting on that Monday, hosted by uh, Bill Schwab himself and a, f- a good friend of his, Clay Harmon. They'll be demonstrating polymer photogravure as well as wet plate collodion. So, Whoa. Uh, yeah, hardcore stuff going on. Alternative process. Lots of great guys. And, of course, uh, a, a, a world-famous local brew, Oberon beer. So, yeah. Is that right? The way you describe Photostock, I have not been yet, but you made it sound very inviting. Like, if you went to Photostock and just were shooting 35-millimeter film, like, no you, one would... You don't even have to shoot to have a good time at Photostock. That's what's cool. Yeah. You you know, when you think of large format, you think of a bunch of grumbly guys. <laughs> like, you know, bark at you. <laughs> you know, I feel like <laughs> those guys... 64! I feel like those guys... 
don't show up. Okay. Oh. Only the cool guys show up. There are guys who shoot who, who are any, like that. Any, any format of any photography form, yeah. who don't want to interact with anybody. They just go and do yeah. their thing. And, and it's typically the same people that you'll find that are like kind of mean on the internet, you know? And the, the people who are tend to be super positive about it are the right. ones that show up in force. Fact, super positive. From a, a, a much older show from the archive, when Dwayne Polky was on, he described a stereo where he went and was he has large format camera and he was set up shooting an exterior and there was another large format photographer like I don't know 20 feet 30 feet away remember this yes and they didn't talk to each like yeah wow. like you look no, no interaction no yeah. interaction but you know not everyone's social no but I feel like if you start going to these social events and they aren't for everybody they right. really aren't but if you enjoy getting out there and interacting with yeah. people that are interested in the same thing you are you'll find you come out of it whether or not you shot or not with more enthusiasm than you had before like yeah. and there's going to be something new that you love you'll yeah. probably buy something yeah <laughs> but yeah. it's it's a good time and i like i lament not not working as much in the summer because i don't have as much money coming up but i'm doing all these cool things that right, i right. saved up my money for so i can do them everyone listening thank you for being on board for for listening to the show and taking part and i hope that someday in the future you can come to one of our meetups they're not going to happen as much as they used to but the ones that we're going to schedule we're going to try to beef them up and give you enough notice that we're hoping that maybe you would consider buying your Greyhound ticket. Is there such a thing anymore, Leslie? Yes, there Unfortunately, is. Unfortunately, there is. Why are you asking me? Oh, I'm sorry. Greyhound yeah. ticket. Lauren, is there a Greyhound? Yes. Yeah, I worked at a Greyhound. <laughs> Mike, I worked at a Greyhound stop for like five Ooh. years in college. You yeah, did? yeah. Worked at the, the Taco Bell subway. That did took- you say, all aboard? I, I heard, I, I, you could smell them coming off the oh. bus. <laughs> What does that mean? Yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Cheech and Chong. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyhow. Anyhow, so <laughs> maybe you folks would actually consider making an FPP get-together a destination as opposed to thinking, when are they coming to my town? Mm. We're not like a traveling carnival. No. <laughs> We're not a band We're of gypsies. We're like gy- a carnival, just not traveling. <laughs> We're not a band of gypsies. Like, we don't have, like, a, a covered wagon where we're, like, going to come through your town and put on... Like, it's, it's becoming less possible. To, we're becoming more realistic about it. Yeah. Because at first, we're like, okay, when we're going to go to... When are we going to do this? When are we going to go to that town? Wait, wait a minute. There's only so many, you know, days in the year. So, anyhow. Well, thanks, everyone. But, but think quality, not quantity, too. I mean, these yeah. are these meetups are gaining a lot of steam. Um, There's uh, more there, stuff yeah. featured. So anyone that's been to our UK meetups knows how, how much fun it is. So if you're listening to the show, you can find us at filmphotographyproject.com. That's our home base. What show? We're also on Flickr. We're also we're also on Facebook, so please do like us. And if you're listening to the show on the iTunes, can you go on the iTunes and write a nice maybe write a nice review if you love the show? Very few people do that. I noticed that. Yeah. We need more reviews. Yeah, because some for every everybody that follows us on Flickr, just just kick us a review. Tell us what you think. Yeah, yeah, please do. And also, get out there, if you can, sort of like tweet or whatever that twit thing yeah, is. Yeah, tweet it, Twitter. <laughs> if you could tweet about, like, just spread the news about who we are, because it's amazing how many people still don't know we exist. No, but they know the YouTube videos. Yes, they do. <gasps> they always know the YouTube videos. People think the YouTube videos is the podcast. Every other letter I get oh. is the, I came here because I saw the YouTube video. Do you happen to, well, yeah, here's the episode. Right, you know? right, absolutely. Yeah, YouTube is amazingly popular. It is. Do you know that children today, all they do is go to YouTube? They'll spend a whole evening on a de- on a device that's the size of one of those eye things. What's that called, Lauren? That's her DS. She- this is an old, old, old... That's pretty good. That's flip up. Flips up. Yeah, but it doesn't do YouTube. But the D- oh. like 3DSs... 
Okay. What do you have over there, Matt? I got a, I got an Android. An Android. You so, can watch YouTube on that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. This thing's hooked up to the Google. You so. know, when uh, YouTube was launched in 2005, I was like, ah, pfft. You know, movies on YouTube or movies on a little screen. I'm like, no one's ever going to want to see a movie on less than like a widescreen in their living room. Now it's and a majority of Boy, watch. was I wrong. Yeah. The Google. Probably Leslie, should have bought stock, huh, babe? Boy, was I wrong. Mm-hmm. Kids have no problem watching like, you know. Anything. Oh, no. I mean, I mean, they've got. They'll watch Life of Pi on a screen that's six inches. Well, Hour, they hours 40. of yeah. <laughs> then they've got to have a magnifier. Yeah. If anything, people <laughs> but, should become uh, op- optometrists yes. <laughs> because everyone's eyes are going to go to S H E E T. Yeah, having a handbasket. Sheet. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. So today, why don't we jump right in? Thanks everyone for joining us. Uh, here's a. Quick email from uh, Johnny Bryan. Johnny is a huge FPP supporter, and he says, I've also been looking into what to do about cameras that use mercury batteries. Uh, a few months ago, we talked about mercury bat- batteries. He says, you, cut, you covered it pretty well. I don't think the wine cells are a good solution, as they only last one or two months. Mm-hmm. Although the voltage is correct. He says, I found this on the Butkus site, B-U-T-K-U-S. Of course, the Mike Butkus site, Orphan Cameras. Uh, Mike Butkus, if you buy a vintage camera and need a manual, find it on the Butkus site. And guess what? It's free. Mike asked for a small donation, which you should do, like John Fideli did. And you should never, ever think about reselling something you download from Mike Butkus. I always tell Mike in emails, I'm like, Mike, it's okay. We love you. Because what you do is so important. It is. People nick his files and then sell them. It's horrible. I can't imagine that. I mean, the guy works so hard. I mean, almost any manual he's got on there. Yeah. For free. People like, like bundle them up on CDs and sell them. That's horrible. Oh. It's awful. It is awful. Help a guy out. Kick him five bucks. Uh, exactly. So Johnny Bryan says uh, that on butkus.org, it's butkus, B-U-T-K-U-S dot org, forward slash chinon, C-H-I-N-O-N, forward slash B-A-T-T dash adapt, A-D-A-P-T, dash U-S dot P-D-F. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's some kind of time of adapter kit. Do you know about it? There are numerous. I'm not sure that this is the same one. Some of them may, simply make collars. Oh. Drop it in, put 76 batteries in them, things like that. Oh. Just adapt a smaller Like a collar, meaning like... Just it'll, like a, it'll hold the batteries until it gets the right amount of voltage, and then you the just... The collar is like a... The collar acts as a step-down or no? No, no, no. It, like, just, it no. just holds a bunch of batteries of smaller no, no, voltage. No. It's oh. a step-downer. Oh, it's a step-downer? Single, single oh, okay. battery step-downer type of thing. Just so it'll hold a smaller battery in that battery compartment in the proper location. Yeah. Johnny Bryan mm-hmm. says, uh, I'll let you know how it works out once I receive the kits and mm-hmm. build a few. Please do, John- okay. Johnny, because they're... Absolutely. You're buying a lot of vintage cameras that need those old mercury batteries. Mm-hmm. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes so yeah. people can also go there and I check like that it. out. Our show notes, which are available at filmphotographyproject.com, click podcast, and you'll see our shows, watch show, and you'll see notes for every show. So if we talk about something, you can go to the link. And, of course, our good friend Alex Laux, our resident Canadian FPPer, writes the show notes. All without an accent. Mm. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, A good friend, Tony Kwong, says, Just to let you know, I recreated a list of Polaroid instant films based on a bunch of Polaroid documents. Now with more dates and descriptions, as well as alternate names for identical films, 
and a few identical names for different films. This list may look similar to the one previously on Wikipedia, as I did contribute much to that list previously. And of course, Tony contributes to camera-wiki.org forward slash wiki, W-I-K-I, forward slash Polaroid underscore instant underscore film. Leslie's writing this down. That's quite As a should list. you. <laughs> As should you. Thank you, Tony. Tony always keeps us up to date. And I think Tony is the guy who originally hipped us to what a Tim Tam was. <gasps> the Google. Yes. Google he is. it. He Tim is. Tam. He is. Tim Tam Slam. You can't beat it. Mm-mm. Never had one. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, you will. All right. Okay. <laughs> Matt, you're holding something up. you have an email to barrel through? I sure do. I'm just trying to think of which ones. I mean, they're all good. Let's see. Oh, here we go. I talked about this earlier. So, this is from Adam Griffiths, also known as Out of My Brain on the Train on Flickr. (laughs) He just wanted to say, Mike, my order got here super fast. Amazingly, from the USA to New Zealand in less than a week. First time shooting Portrait 400, and I'm so looking forward to it. Wonderful. So we were chatting about uh, light meters a couple months ago, and he had a couple questions because he just can't seem to get to get them right. He's bought three now, all from all from a local version on uh, a local version of eBay, and not one has worked properly. I use my phone app, but it's so wildly inaccurate I can't use it for slide film and don't really trust it anymore. My favorite cameras are my Lubitels and my Schminas, and I love the I love the crisp, crunchy lenses. None of my other vintage cameras come close. All fully manual. I'm sick of taking a punt on a bad auction and would happily donate to your cause or or something if if you had a giveaway that worked. <laughs> I have some questions actually. As someone who uses light meters, and I have I only use the Goss and Luna Pro F, but mm-hmm. occasionally I'll pick up. You know, in the studio I have a Minolta electronic, and I'll just be like, oh, and I'll fiddle with it, and I'll do my meter reading, and it'll, it'll match. Mm-hmm. Also, everyone that uses apps for their uh, for their iPhone has had nothing but amazing things to say, like, like dead on. So the question to Adam is, hmm, something's wrong here. I feel like it has something a little bit to do with the same crunchy, grindy look you're getting from said cameras. What's a said camera? The Lubitel. Oh. Lubitel and the Shmina. I was kind of had that feeling myself not you know he's not first. dealing with a brand new camera here no. so there could be a sticky shutter a sticky lens sticker sticky blade you know it's a sticky situation it's a sticky situation it may not <laughs> be, be accurate meter yes. yeah could be the camera the meter's correct but your camera the shutter is lagging or yeah mm-hmm. and there's only a few ways to like truly determine that but i mean running a couple rolls of film through with a meter that you know works pretty well. Does he mention what meters he has, the three? Um, no, he mentioned one of them was a, was a Weston Master 4. Okay. And it, and, it, and it vaguely works if someone could calibrate it. A lot of the, and mm. a lot of those, uh, the old meters have a little, have a little dial that you can mm-hmm. use, like a, like a hex wrench or something, yeah, absolutely. And, and just dial it in. Very sensitive, though. You don't want to mess with that too much. No. I had uh, I recently just had my my classic Minolta three yeah. analog meter. It uh, it went bust. Yeah. Oh, unfortunately. It did? Yeah, like something was clunky in it. Like yeah. it was clinking around. I knew that was no good. One of them was like a ball bearing that right. that moved it, and then like something else went clunky, and my stuff was off by like by, like four. It stops. does sound like Adam's getting the film sweats about this. Like yeah, he seems I, to be sweating it. And I, I never want to like blame the camera, but blame the camera in, this, in this case. Me- the likelihood of those three meters not. Being completely off, yeah. No. It's very unlikely. Yeah. So use the same film, load same. both cameras. Correct. Get expose off. them together. See if there's a difference. 
It's going to tell you one camera is different than the well, other. Well, I was going to su- suggest getting off the Russian cameras and trying a Japanese camera mm-hmm. or an American camera. Like, just or recent. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, or sure. a recent camera. Something that you know the shutter's, like, spot on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that would help. Test on and, things, narrow it down. Yeah, and, and, you know, worst case scenario, I, I dare not say this on the podcast too often, but in a pinch, you can also use a, you know, a digital SLR and a long lens, and that can, mm-hmm. that can meter for you, too. Absolutely. Yeah. And when I'd, in doubt. Or a shoot Portrait 400 because it's Portrait 400, you'll, you'll get you there, yeah. Yeah, or a 35mm SLR that has a meter. Exactly. A, AE1 mm-hmm. or, you know, yeah. any. Pretty, they're really. very solid yeah. for the most part, yeah. So, And, I mean, slide film, you're just going to – you just have to get in there tight and meter for those highlights. So what's the bottom line we're telling Adam to try? Try one that you know has, like, an accurate shutter first off. Okay. And don't don't be quick to junk a meter because a lot of times, I mean, it's going to be something else in your process. Mm-hmm. Meters meters don't lie. The human eye lies. <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about, well, you know, we should probably talk about this amazing Nikon F1. Breaking news. Yep, 110 Film is back. The Film Photography Store is now stocking fresh 110 film. And if you don't have a camera, 110 new and vintage cameras. Support the FPP. Check out, try, revitalize your interest in 110 film. You thinking about trying it? You've never shot 110? Now's the time to do it. Filmphotographystore.com. We're carrying the new Lomography, the Orca 110 Black and White. That's 100 ASA 110 film. The Lomography Tiger. Tiger 200 film. That's 200 ASA color film. The very last batch, 2010 expired. Fuji film. 110 200 ASA John Fideli's favorite and the Lomography Red Scale Lobster 110 film amazing and most recently and most exciting a brand new color slide film Lomography Peacock 110 color slide film awesome new 110 film stocks now's the time to check it out filmphotographystore.com it helps the FPP very appreciative of all the folks that have been to the film photography store please do check it out thank you very much because I'm a professional photographer people often ask me how to get their money's worth in a pocket camera I recommend the Minolta Pocket Auto Pack 450E. It has an all-glass lens, not plastic. Plus, the Minolta adjusts automatically for the correct flash exposure as you focus for beautiful stop-action pictures. And for dramatic close-ups, Minolta has an added lens. The Minolta Pocket Auto Pack. Get a whole lot of camera for your money. Hey, we're back. I remember, uh, I think two years ago, we had the Nikon F2. Mr. Dan Domi had his F2. Yes. Everyone marveled when they looked through the eyepiece. Oh, that was the FE. Oh, FE? Oh, yeah. FE? Or was it an FE2 or something? It was an FE2, FM2. but it was, it was an FM2, an maybe. F2. Yes, it was much newer, I believe. Yeah, yeah. it was. Because uh, it, had, right a nice, way, it had a big bright marveled at looking through the eyepiece. But a lot of the classic Nikons, I have to tell you, when you look through the eyepiece, look so amazingly 
Like, like I can't describe it. You have to look through the eyepiece when it looks bright and crisp and, and nice. Nicey nice. Nicey nice. Now, is this um, – how many Nikons do you own? And how recently like, – how long have you had this? You know, I think I only own two. <laughs> Ni- no, I own three Nikons. I found one on the shelf when I was cleaning the Mecca. I thought it was an empty box. Doggone it. There I'm just a, not used to seeing the Nikon. There's a black FE in there I didn't even know I had. Yeah. But that happens all the time. This is an orphan. Oh. This came in the front door in a box with a bunch of Exactus. Mm-hmm. And they treat them like a little box of puppies. They come in, they drop them, and they run. And I look at them and I go, oh. That's and a... I, I can't let... And I'm looking at this and I'm like, it's, it's a, a Nikon F. It's a beautiful classic wow. looking camera. And it's got a 1.4 lens. First 1.4 oh. lens I ever owned. So I don't... It's called a Nikon F. We call it F1s now simply because of the next generation. Mm-hmm. It's called the F2. Um, camera had a life of 1959 to 1973. Pretty amazing. This is the Vietnam camera. Is that right? Yeah. They were issued. What? It was It was what a lot of photojournalists used. Mm. Wait, whoa, whoa. Did you say 59 to 73? I said 59 to 73. Wow. I mean, that's a long time. That's For a camera You could, you could have kids before, before a new camera came out. Wow. <laughs> if you I mean, were around having kids in 59. Yeah, yeah, I know, but just, wow, it just seems like a, a terribly long time. Uh, a lot of people considered it really the first professional system SLR. Mm-hmm. It had interchangeable prisms, viewfinders. It had... Um, Interchangeable backs. You could put the 250 shot back on this. What would you, could you when you say change of a uh, 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 view, change a prism? What does that mean exactly? Prism finder. You could have one you could actually look down into oh, the waist level the finder, waist level or a pentaprism. That's changeable. Flips yes. Changeable. Flips out. Comes out. That's awesome. Yeah. Pretty slick. Yeah. Um, and uh, they call it the F for the F and reflex. Oh. That's where the F came from. F. F. <laughs> also had a titanium foil shutter whoa rather than cloth okay uh, you couldn't burn a hole in it by leaving it set out it's not going to go bust very easy they they estimated that shutter would last one hundred thousand fires i think to say years, years. <laughs> oh so of course, we, this is also the the 100 percent uh view oh, viewfinder view okay may, may i look at it yeah absolutely what are you talking they also did the bayonet mount a lot of other people from that 59 era was using the 49 thread and they came out with the bayonet mount. So, pretty sweet little camera, especially since it was free. Especially since it had a 1.4 on it. Isn't that nice? And, uh... It's substantial. It is. It's a, just a It's just a meaty camera. Yeah, that's what I would call it. Really it really is meaty. Ooh. It, yeah, it feels good, too. I have thoroughly enjoyed using it. Um, 1.4 lens, you, that's no depth of field. You gotta nail it, but, um... Is there, um, did you mention, is there a meter in here or no? Uh... I don't see one. No, I don't. No, there's no meter in that, in that particular one. But I rarely use them anyway. I'm studying sixteen. And you think so, that military? So Korean well, War, Vietnam War. For the for the uh, photojournalist. Photojournalist. Mm-hmm. Watergate. Maybe. <laughs> Who's talking? Not me. What um, is yeah, exact? Um, what is Sunny sixteen? Sunny sixteen. You put four hundred speed film in your camera. Mm-hmm. You match that to your closest shutter speed. Probably one five hundredth of a second. I'm doing it as Leslie's talks. And if it's sunny out, set your lens to 16. So if you do not have a meter, you've got a really pretty accurate way to guess what your exposure is going to be. Okay. If you shoot 125 film, yep. then put your 125 in, set your shutter speed to 125th of a second, mm-hmm. and 16 if it's bright out. Okay. And a little th- overcast, drop yep. it down to F11. Gives you that good starting point. Yep. 
And you can go online, I think, and search Sunny 16. Yep, and there's a nice little wiki article. And, and a little chart out. Yeah, a sure. little cheat sheet. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Uh, um, we just read that letter from Adam who was talking about light meter. And mm-hmm. I don't think you really have to get too nervous about worrying about, if you have a manual camera, measuring light if you follow Sunny 16. I don't know Sunny if everyone 16. knows about Sunny yeah. 16. And it, I, f- I feel like the, there's people that like they have practiced it, therefore they just kind of get to know it and then yeah. there's the people that have been you know leaning on an auto exposure meter for long enough that right. they get kind of scared when yes. when they're without oh, the sure. meter freewheeling mm-hmm. yeah and i mean it is it is nerve-wracking if you don't have your meter sometimes it's nice to go out and sort of not you forget your it's happened to me you just forget your meter and you have a camera with no meter and you're just out and you just you just look up the sun and you're just like uh okay and you just do sunny 16 yeah feel I, it out when i shot with the canon ftb of course, the whole meter issue. Is the meter working on the FTV? I don't even think I put a battery in. Oh, okay. I just went out and shot, and I thought, this is fun. It Th- was Did you really get the results back? Perfect. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. I, I usually test, though, with 400 consumer negative film right. to begin with. But um, uh, it, was, it was a joy simply just to shoot and enjoy the camera but oh look at that isn't that wild how the back does not swing open the back pulls off i did not know that well and of course i that makes it easy to put that 250 shot back on things like that those things are monsters rather than oh they are they're a two fifty shot back has this big cassette back. of it, film. It's a magazine, yep. magazine. like a sidecar, yeah, of, <laughs> a, a double ma- sidecar. Yep, and because you've got the reserve and the take. Sports photography or what type of photography? <gasps> photography where you're going to be moving from situation. You don't have time to put new you film in. You still have in. the uh, cock shutter by hand, or was there? You could. You could. Some use of them a had a motor system, motor drive system. That's I mean, really that just made that makes something as big as your Kiev over there with how yeah. you got all that done. But you would load how much film would you load? You put the whole two hundred and fifty shot in. When I say two fifty shot, like what is this? Like it's like a hundred feet, isn't it? No, no, it, no, no, it's not hundred feet. I guess I should ask: Is that uh, load of film still available in that incarnation? Like, how, can you still go on eBay and find you'd, such a magazine? You'd have for to that you'd camera? have to buy a bulk. Load oh, for the film. magazine, the actual yeah back for it or do you just load it yourself i don't know i probably, never used one i oh. think i think you can buy you can probably buy the cassettes okay. online because I, I know you can buy for the hasselblad had a similar thing right mm-hmm. and it held it was a 70 mil back i think it held like 100 i can't shot. think of a practical reason to use it yeah. or but, seek one out but i'm just asking I, they're, they're rare and very niche but you would have to load them yourself for the most yeah. part oh yes olympus also made one i wouldn't be at all surprised that canon offered it too Oh. Two fifty shot back on their pros. Yeah. So, anyway, it's kind of been a sweet little camera to use, and I very well made. Enjoy it. Incredibly well made. I have no idea. I suppose there's somewhere I may be able to run the serial number and see mm-hmm. when in that time frame it was made. Uh, I do know the history a little bit about it of the gentleman that bought it, and uh, then consequently gave it to me. But um, I didn't ask him what vintage it truly was. But uh, as typical with all my cameras, I thoroughly enjoy using it. Right. And love right. It. I really do. Yeah. Do you develop a, a favorite? Do you have a favorite 35 millimeter SLR or? I do. What is that? Uh, kind of. <laughs> D- depends. You have a <laughs> just, few. Just spit it out. Uh, Olympus, <laughs> Olympus OM1 or OM2 for lightweight, fun, small, yeah. terrific cameras, great meters, that type of thing. You know, Very you... system. And then I do like my Minolta 600 SI. Yeah. You know, you and I think of you and Dave Mahali, FPP listener Dave oh, Mahali. Yeah. You are like 
Olympus through and through. Olympus folk. Grew up that way, yeah. Yeah. Born and raised on it. Cut my teeth on it. Yeah. Choose your analogy. And Minolta. Uh, Part of this is because I retailed those particular things. And this is fun. This is a little fun Finley tidbit. Used to be two camera stores in Findlay. Mm-hmm. They got along very well. We also didn't sell the same camera brand that oh. the other one did. We, we we got along that well. They had Nikon and Canon. We had Minolta and Olympus. Okay. So that's the reasoning kind of behind that. Yeah. And why I really like those two. I the Minolta's nice because it went into all my lenses fit on mm-hmm. Sony Digital, and I can you know shift over there if I need to. Well, that's pretty anyway. awesome. For as little as I as I shoot thirty five anymore, this kind of makes me want to go back to it. I like the I really like the feel of the advance on this. For me, that's a big deal. I don't know why. It's not plasticky or anything. It's no, very solid. It, it was a big deal at the time, though, that that was a single-stroke advance. Yes. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to get that, like, at the end of it, and then you get a, like, half. Exactly. Ah, oh, yeah, it's right. awful. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I that, like that. And the, and the back right. is, the, the way the back comes off is reminiscent of a Leica, I'm sure, for a lot of people. So, very, very cool camera. Uh, you know, Leslie, I'd like to mention, since we're just talking about uh, your gear, that a few months ago, not too many months ago, you were featured, as was I, in the Analog Revival website yes how much fun was that it was it was fun but embarrassing why (laughs) because they wanted your camera bag and leslie doesn't have just one camera bag because number one she's a girl so she has two because they have you know a small pack for uh day tripping and and then a big old one i can expand the sides out was it tough to write did you like like did you have a difficult time kind of keying in on what will be in your bag because you have so many different bags of film no it wasn't hard at all to write was it fun i I did it was it was very much so oh i always think it's discouraging for the average person to see how much crap i've got and think <laughs> oh i gotta have one of those well no you don't but still all the same i i did get a lot of comment from people in fact even jimages jim austin said Jimmy. he absolutely enjoyed reading it was he, he said it was very fun to read that so i don't know who's coming up next but we'll, we'll have to watch for him. Uh, this is analog revival mm-hmm. interviews.blogspot.com for folks out there listening who want to go check it out it's an interesting site. What country does that hail from? Do you remember? I do not know what country. Some, I don't. Somewhere in Europe or maybe so, even uh, the Norway area. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, I'm drawing a blank. I have a shameless plug, though. Oh. Sp- speaking of blog features. Yes, blog features. Okay. So That's right. There's a new... Yeah, yeah! And, and we get to talk about Polaroid because of it. So, like, oh yeah, you know, Leslie and I are on a blog. <laughs> That's it. And Matt's like, me? No. What about me? Ooh, ooh, no, ooh, no, no, not, ooh, ooh. no, no, not that bad. But there's uh, there's this new uh, instant photography. They're like they're all about instant, but they they do kind of vary. Like what kind of instant? It's called Snap It See It Yes dot com. Mm-hmm. They have a really really hip new site with with the blog. They do weekly features. Uh, I believe they kind of partner with Impossible Project and have hosted some workshops. They also partner with I, I believe it's Instant Film Society. But the, all the Instant Film guys are very tight. You know they they all right. plug each other. But Snap It See It asked me back when they started if they could do a feature because they wanted somebody who was doing the large format stuff. And I was like, oh, why don't you get somebody who's you know good with it? <laughs> but but they they said they really liked the eight by ten, so they did a feature on uh, my Polaroid stuff, which mm-hmm. features you know everybody in this room right now, those those portraits, and and so just some other ran- just some other random uh, stuff. But it was really cool. Um, the interview process because you're like, oh man, these are like really deep questions. Can I even answer these? Right. <laughs> wow. You know, because they they ask you about like the philosophy of why, how you shoot, why you shoot. Um, does instant change how how you shoot things? And it, it really, it's nice answering those questions because you're kind of like taking a step back and looking mm-hmm. at your looking at your own work 
or the the way you work from an outsider kind of right you know an outside perspective so it's it's kind of neat it, make, it, it makes it makes you think and when you read those interviews you're kind of like oh wow that's you, you don't you don't recognize it's you when you read your own article i'm sure you guys felt the same way reading your own you're like oh hey it's pretty cool not yeah. quite as cool as being uh, featured in the uh, finlay <laughs> oh jeez finlay the courier the courier april 13 uh, april 11th 2013 oh jeez in print <laughs> it's in print but, uh, yeah it is, it is kind of it's nice. always it's always neat getting yeah. those little features and I I support you know as many yeah. as many different blogs and I just try to get you know the name out there. There was plenty of FPP blogs. Don't worry. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Matt, <laughs> you know you're out there more so than me. I can't speak for Leslie, but I think Matt's really out there digging digging in shooting. You're shooting a lot. Oh well, it doesn't feel like it anymore. I felt yeah. I felt like I spent most of the winter printing and like the spring. Yeah. It's uh, picking up steam. Yeah, but I'll hit yeah. critical mass by photo stock. That's the goal. I have a letter here from uh, Min Su Kim, and it's sort of a touchy topic, interesting topic about copyright. Ooh, uh, and a lot of folks who listen, you know, I've seen many, many, many posts about you know people get all steamed up about if their images get you know used in a blog without their permission, and some. Uh, some some folks we know even like stamp in their brand uh, like on the originals. Our, yeah, on the originals, yeah. like our good friend Scenes of New York. Scenes of New York, yeah. Mean Su Kim sent me a letter, and he says, um, "Recently, I saw a photo essay from Online Life magazine about interracial marriage back in the 1960s. I was very touched and interested in the essay by the work of photographer Gary Villay. That's." Uh, GreyValet.com G-R-E-Y-V-I-L-L-E-T.com As I summarized stories from several articles uh, with one of Valet's image on my blog, of course credited to the photographer and the source with the web address. So it sounds like Min Su saw an article online, liked it so much that he basically wrote a blog about like, it. Like reblogged it. Reblogged kind of, it yeah. and used the image. He is saying, I'm wondering if posting won't cause any legal problems. Surely I am far from any legal issue and purely new to this. I don't want to make any trouble. Uh, I was wondering if you can give quick advice on this post, whether putting one of Valet's images on my blog may cause trouble or not. When I saw other photographers' galleries or websites, I saw statements like, reproduction is not permitted without prior written consent and authorization. Is my post a reproduction? Should I get permission or authorization from Gray Valet's family? Would you mention a bit about this on the next podcast? This is a topic that happens every day. Mm-hmm. And copyright is a huge gray area. It is. Especially on the I internet I went to a right couple now. seminars on copyright with images. It's... The, the, the web is the the, the... the internet is the Wild West right now. It, correct. It is. In fact, that was the first thing they asked when the, in the seminar was, how many of you believe that something is posted on the web that you do not have to ask permission to use it? It's like everyone. Majority. Majority, majority of people believe that. Yeah. Now, that image is 1960 or so that was referenced. Mm-hmm. Um, if there was a copyright on it, it's probably not good anymore unless... It doesn't matter. The state probably has it. Unless it was renewed. The estate. And if the person has died, who owns it? Uh, the estate. The, the est- like whoever took over. The estate, unless he sold... Unless 
because he sold it. Not necessarily, it's because life. I have a, a, three mass collections of negatives from three different photographers in Findlay, and I wanted rather to protect those images from people copying them and using their historic images. And that was the question that I was allowed to ask the copyright attorney. Mm-hmm. And he said, you cannot copyright a single image. Why? It does not belong you to you. You could not. I cannot. I can produce a book or a portfolio and copyright that. Your work. But I cannot copyright his image. So You were not in touch with the family, or there is no family uh, anymore? In some cases, there is no family. Public domain, I'm not sure. You, you, have, to, you have to prove you did your best to seek out Absolutely. known family, and well, then you're, you're off the you're, hook. You're di- you know, someone like Minsu, who's basically mm-hmm. reblogging and reposting without notification. It is, it is a huge gray area. It is. Uh, and it happens. It happens all the time. I kind of in situations like that because it, that's a pretty straightforward re, just reblog. That's why we called it that. Mm-hmm. Um, on many sites uh, and on many microblogging sites like Tumblr and Pinterest, which are very popular right now with uh, Facebook users and other social media. Oh yes, reblogging like that is it's on Tumblr. It's required that you credit, like you you link back. Or else you're kind of like, well, it's not required, but it's very, it's, they suggest it to you. Like, they offer it to you. If you oh, post on ladies Tumblr. Ladies and gentlemen, Lauren Bagley. Lauren, if you post an image on Tumblr, who owns the copyright? Do you retain your copyright? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, what Same happens as is with if you, Flickr. What happens is if you reblog an image on Tumblr or Pinterest, um, usually the source is already there. So even if you put it on your blog, it says the source at the bottom. Unless, of course, you're somebody who, quote-unquote, reposts an image, which then you can't... It doesn't say who sourced it. You're putting it on your blog saying, like, oh, look at this pretty image. So, like, that could be for, like, anybody from, like, artwork to pictures or anything else. And that's how it's becoming a gray area is because people aren't crediting properly. But if you do credit, does it still make it right or wrong? Will someone see one of your illustrations, right mouse click, save image as, and then put it on their blog, but forget or not even think to give you credit? They could if they wanted to. Happens all Mm -hmm. the time. But Mm -hmm. there's a way, um, at least... On most web browsers, if you right-click an image and you say copy image location, you go to Google and you put it in the image search. If it's not sourced um, and it's somebody else's work, it will show up in an image search if you put the copy image location. Uh. Yeah, so it's an easy way to source images that aren't sourced. But if somebody reblogged my stuff... It would the copyright would still stay with me, and I would be like, "Yeah, thanks for saving, you know, like sharing my stuff, and you know, because it generates traffic." For yes, me. sounds like this gentleman has done the right thing by sourcing it and putting a link. Yeah, I would say he's done he's done yeah. a, a fair share. I kind of also like to think about the situation as the um, kind of like the how we treat celebrity in this country, yes. where um, there's a certain. There's a certain expectation to uh, to privacy and getting your name out there uh, until you know uh, at what point does that become you know like slandering said person. Right. The same thing applies to uh, content generated by that person. So this is a, this is a life photographer, and this is you know Minsu's blog. He's he's he has no obviously there's no commercial intent through it. He has he's given uh, he's given a source. Obviously, it's pointing to another blog post and just using a reference image from said blog post. Uh, uh, there's nothing. It's very different than someone who takes an image and then just claims straight takes it, cl- or claims it's their image. Absolutely. Exactly. So he's. Mm-hmm. I, I feel he's he's done most of his part. Yeah. If you want to be extra cautious, you can always email the folks. But then most of the time, when when you email a big a big name like that, they won't let you. Uh, yeah. No. They won't. They no. They, just no. From they, a legal they, they perspective. Always. Always. No, no. There's no benefit for them doing such a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So have you had a? Have you? Didn't you have issues with someone? 
uh, taking your images and, and putting them up as their own? On Flickr, yeah. Two people now. <laughs> no kidding. So, And I was like, they weren't even really that – you know, they weren't good stuff, I didn't think. Um, I've also had a person post on their DeviantArt account my stuff. And, what, what is yeah, DeviantArt? Uh, it's another place to put um, – it's just another social networking for artists. How did you find it? Um, there is a great little function tool that you can plug into Mozilla Firefox or Google Chrome. It's called Who Stole My Picture? Whoa! Oh. And you can write you can right click I right click my Flickr images because I am very loose with my Flickr images. You can download the most gargantuan size of my images, dust and all, mm-hmm. and uh, save them. I really don't, you know, I don't police them that much, but I do check the, the heavy hitters, the ones that I actually have registered. I, there are a small smattering of images I have registered with the copyright office. Right. Because they, make, they made me money, and I want, to, I want them to continue to make me right. money. So I register them, and it's only a $45 fee. So, uh, How do you use that who stole my image? When you right-click, like Lauren was talking about, for the copy location, the plugin generates a thing that says you right-click, and at the top it says, who stole my image? And then it'll say, now searching Google for people who may have sol- stolen your image or an image that looks like it. And we're all, and then, and I are like, I'm doing that. Bing. Right and then it generates, yeah, I, I believe uh, John Meadows, or it was either John Meadows or Dan Domi that, that showed me this, uh, this program uh, on Facebook. So yeah. it was very cool. And that's how I found the DeviantArt user because DeviantArt catalogs insanely well. I don't know why. They were like claiming it as their own. And when you look at the metadata, which is the data that like your Photoshop or your digital mm-hmm. camera inputs on it, it still said it's you know, Matt's computer. <laughs> like it's, right, right, you know, right. so yeah, it was my image. Right. But and, and after that, once you have that much proof, it's like, come on, just take it down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, interesting information. If anyone has any questions, uh, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. That was a really good question. Yeah, good question, if you want to get in touch with us. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about... (laughs) you got to see the visual. Leslie's sitting here with like this big book on her lap. It's like bigger than a phone book. It is. It's it's way cooler than a phone book, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's just remarkable. We'll be talking about Kodak papers. (laughs) We'll be back. I'm here in the studio with Matt. We're doing a live spot for the debonair. Oh my gosh, that plastic, fantastic. Yep, easily the coolest 120 toy camera out there. 120 toy camera FPP found 2,000 cameras up in Rochester, New York. They're now in the FPP store. It's 19.99 US. We're sending out a lot of cameras per per week. As a matter of fact, I. I some of the folks at the show that we ran into what show had ordered from the FPP store lately. Myself, Matt, and Leslie from Imagine That. Imagine that. <laughs> Sprockets. Oh, they just look fantastic, Mike. Uh, we Instead of using 120 film in the FPP Debonair, which is a 120 plastic camera, myself, Matt, and Leslie have been dropping in 35-millimeter cartridges. It fits perfectly. All you need is, like, a piece of, like... Uh, packing peanuts? Packing peanuts. Some gaffer's tape? Yeah, one on each side. And Ooh. you're good to go. It fits in perfect and... Nice and snug. Nice and snug, and it, it creates... Uh, your image on 35-millimeter film includes the image onto the sprocket area of the film, which is... Very cool. When people see that, they're like, Whoa, Whoa. how'd you do that sprocket photography? <laughs> so the FPP Debonair Film Photography Store.com I know it sounds funny. You'd be like, hey, man, you got a, you have 2,000 of them. It's a limited amount. Think about it. That's it. How many you guys, guys and girls out there listening... We have way over 2,000 listeners listening to FPP regularly. Get it now. It is the coolest camera. A number one recommended by myself, 
Matt, Leslie, anyone that's used it so far, two thumbs up. So filmphotographystore.com, 120 film cameras, there it will be. Check it out. Yeah. Hey, we're back. Oh, my God. Look at Leslie, like, huge book. It's like Kodak, and the word papers is like, like stenciled across the front. Papers. Yes, papers. So, Mike, I got to preface this one. When when Les, I first came into Leslie's shop, she has this story she tells just about every person about teaching and what she would what she would say to oh. any group of students that were starting out in the darkroom printing. And she pointed me to this book and showed me some of the lovely things you can do with printing. That like somebody like today that is new to film and new to the darkroom, all that stuff, no, cannot imagine Mm-mm. what printing was compared to what it is now. Right. Like you have to explain to someone, a student walking in, that the process of because as you mentioned, no one thinks about you know shining uh, a light through negative to a piece of paper to make mm-hmm. their own prints. Especially in today's age of everyone's getting their necks and scanning yeah. them, people or, using or even film. just like having one or two papers available. Leslie, can can you take over? From well, here? you started to tell me someone mentioned this the other night, and I finished his sentence. I said, any time I would develop a roll of film, when I pulled that roll of film off, and I look at those negatives, I knew what paper I was going to print them on. That's experience. And at one time, uh, I believe the University of Toledo asked me to come up to speak to their photographic students. I'll tell them what I do, my darkroom procedure. I go in the darkroom and I look around and I had 17 different papers. I, I can't tell them that. That's discouraging. But that's the way it used to be. We had such paper choices. Now, I'm happy to say this is before my time. Not many things are today. Uh, working retail for many years, being a Kodak dealer, this is a Kodak dealer product. This is not something that's available to the public. It is a about a 12 by 12 binder. It's probably three inches thick, the classic yellow with red printing. Of course. And there is a full 8 by 10 shot, uh, lovely image. And these had to be contact prints. Most of, most of them are. There were that many papers? This is the papers that were offered in 1967. Amazing. And uh, names that have gone on for years, and they divide them down to contact printing, enlarging papers, because there were, there were different, different speeds, different types. And Portrait Door, oh a very warm-tone paper. There were paper bases that were warm, and the image was warm. Cool bases, warm it, you know, and it. You just really and the surface difference. Is these all black and white, by the way. Yes, these, these are all these black, are all and, black white. and white papers. This is called tweed luster. Like, look at that. That's that beautiful. Is the surface and um, this is one of my most treasured things, actually, that I have or probably lifted from the store before it went out of business. But just simply even Ectolore, that is amazing. And I mean, even the uh, the images in here are classic sixties too. Oh yes. Throughout here, that have incredibly rough textures. Right, right. They'll tell you what those are used for. They were used for big enlargements to hide grain or smooth papers. And I think probably part of this book, even some of the shots in here that are glossy, mm-hmm. the image was really chose to enhance that glossy look. Right. I'm just going to hand it over oh, to Mike yes. because this Thank is. You. <laughs> now, now one thing to there, note, but... Mike, these are black and white images. I, I've seen black and white books. That are younger than this, and the images are already starting to kind of fade or tarnish. 
These prints look like they were made yesterday. They're not bad. There's a little bit of water damage physically on, in the on back one of, them, of the book. Yeah. But that's... The first thing I ask is like what someone would ask in today's day and age. Because when people think of prints, people think, of course, today of buying... You can go to Unique Photo or any large store, and they have a whole section of papers. It's all inkjet papers. Yeah, these, Absolutely. Is, yeah. The, our, this, our, everything in here is printed in a dark room. These are not lithos. They are not. Correct. This is silver... Silver Rich gelatin. Silver gelatin papers. And Incredible. at that point, 67, I don't believe there's any RC paper. There's, there's one in there. Is there? There's there would be the, the original polycontrast. The original and um, the metalist paper. Okay. And see, see, exactly. Those gloss just, are ridiculous. Oh. Is that opal? This That's is opal. opal. See, yeah. I oh still know God. some of them. Isn't that opal beautiful? Goodness. Now, my favorite paper, Mike, is in the very, very back. And it is. It's Azo. But oh, here's the cool thing Azo. about here's the yeah. cool thing about Azo. It's a contact speed paper. Yes, it is. There's so much good silver in that paper. People are still printing on Azo from the late sixties. Like is that, right? that paper is still good. I used Azo paper for contact printing. Now this is we're talking so everyone out there listening knows what we're talking about. This is paper that you buy. I mean this modern papers which we could talk about in a second. It's a paper that you'd bring into a dark room that you you would uh, use in a larger to shine light through your negative onto the paper. Then you take the paper and physically put it in a developer, then into a stop bath, and yep. then into a fixer. A fixer, yeah. And, and then, then wash. A, a yep. long wash. wash. We refer to it today as wet printing. Yes. The wet dark so, room. Yep. The wet dark or room. Or if you have a large enough negative, or even like a, a 6x9 uh, medium format, you could do a contact, contact print. Contact print, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's the back, what you're looking at now, the Azo, that's contact speed. This is a slower paper. Right. It's got more silver in it. It gives you a nice, beautiful tonal range. Now, back in the day, there was, I'm assuming there was still an optional printing, which was uh, the printing press, which is known as litho, which basically it's like a newspaper or a magazine They'd use uh, separation, like four black and white negatives to exactly, make a, yes. dot pr- a dot pattern print. Yes. Mm-hmm. So like Life magazine was, was printed on a printing press as opposed to chemically in a... Absolutely, right. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Back then, that was it. There was 1967, there, those were the options. There was no ink jets. There was no printers at home, no. which I know, you know, we're saying this, but folks out there listening who are younger may not know that. Absolutely. You know? You're correct. When you're born and there's an inkjet printer in your house, you don't really think about that there wasn't, and what did you do? Yeah. It's a, mind-boggling. It's a mind-boggling process, not too. Not as mind-boggling as the nacho cheese <laughs> Dorito. <laughs> <laughs> the Doritos Locos Tacos Doritos. Yeah. yeah. Not as mind-boggling as that, but this is mind-boggling. And you're looking at someone, you guys are looking at me, who, you know, took photography classes and worked in a dark room and, mm-hmm. and know about all this. It's like, it's opening up a part of my brain that I thought was closed forever. on. <laughs> awesome. Isn't this, it just, a, it's, it's amazing. And the surface choices. This wasn't just glossy and matte. No. You've got an e-surface luster. Others call this it is amazing. Um, there's there's the tweed, tweed luster and it was just coded as R yeah. so you knew your uh, E was luster uh, F's glossy R's tweed luster there were can, G surfaces can someone find this book on wow. eBay or in a Craigslist where you go meet someone in the parking lot I, I would say the best chance is maybe like estate sales or, or little well, you uh, see antique that, shops that was not available to the public so it's not like they printed that this many is a of dealer them. item. Yeah. You were given one of these. So oh, that makes the... A, so a dealer yeah. would... Go, this is a rep who would go into a photography store and use this to pitch these papers now, to... Now, the a, dealer would have it to pitch them to the public. 
Oh, so if a so, store went out of business, maybe. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's a clean out, a store clean out. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like some of the local antique places because old stores Look will at that. Mm-hmm. buy up. Here's the same negative image, but printed on two different styles. They, to- they toned one. Yeah. To show its tonability. Cause How would you tone it? Brown toner, sepia toner, uh, selenium toner. You actually pour it into the developer? No, 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 no it's, it's well, another step. Actually, you, for can, most part. you can put toner in the. F- some people tone and fix. But that's different. That's, that's, different. that's different. There's yeah. also it's um, usually a separate bath that's done after washing. Brown. Uh, you know, I'm getting numerous. excited about setting up the numerous enlargers I have at the FPP studio. Do it, and actually going into a dark room and printing something. And I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. What? You're going to go in about eight or nine o'clock at night, and you're going to come out, and it's going to be two and three in the morning. Yep. And you're going. What the heck? Because you just, it's amazing. You know, I, in high school and in college, I mean, I had never had a great, me personally, I never had a great knack for printing. Is it the same thing as anything else you do in the sense that, is there a hump you get over? Or are some people good at printing and some people are just terrible well, at it? I think there are people that yeah, it does take time. There is that learning curve. Once you get past it, you're proficient in it, and then it's a, a personal choice. But I find there are people that are they're shooters and printers, right? Absolutely. And a, a lot of the great photographers you look up to, they're shooters, not printers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But there are some people that that do strike a fine balance. I'm probably going to be calling it ten more years. I'm going to be like way more into printing. I've competition printed for people for years. I don't, can't tell you how many hours. Oh, I'm, you would print for people. People print absolutely you. competition printed. Is there a paper? Mm-hmm. I'm going to call it the Kodak portrait of papers. A paper that's very <laughs> forgiving that a novice or someone getting back into. Currently, like a paper that's very forgiving. So if you're off a stop, that it will produce a good image or testing in order to find you know the proper time. Well, right. papers today have a lot of advantages over older papers because a lot of older papers also were uh, were graded. All of those would have been well, nearly, nearly nearly all of them. Oh, are see, graded, there's a poly yeah. contrast. Yeah, Ooh, paper there. Beautiful. Now most so, now most papers today are what they call the multi grade or multi contrast. Yeah, mm-hmm. which means they you can grade them. So if you have a thinner neg, you can just throw it through a grade four or grade five filter, get that blue light on there, and pr- and print it acceptably. So, so and to step back as to what graded paper is. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, they grade paper from one to five typically. One being a very soft or low contrast. Five being an incredibly contrasty paper. Mm-hmm. Typically, you'd print on a two or three. But if you had a, a negative that was off, that's how you adjusted it. If your negative was flat or thin and you needed it right. to be punchy, you get a four or five paper. Yep. The question of the day, of, of course, is here's a book of black and white papers with you know, dozens mm-hmm. and dozens. How many papers exist today? Uh-oh. Nowhere near as many as minuscule as, as it, did. Is it really minuscule? Is, is it shrinking it is. or is it stabilized? No, it's still... Um, I no, it's about stabilized. I would, maybe, yes. Maybe, we, we've really maybe since 2010 point, it's stabilized, though. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because well, the, big, the, big shot, or the big shock came in 2006 when Kodak just shut off all their black and white papers. Absolutely. That, Is that right? That, yes. really, that really kicked a lot of people down off of printing. What's the shelf life of paper? To, Ooh. It's the same as film. They have expiration dates, but you can freeze it, yes. and it holds a lot better Depends than film because it's, it's slower for the mm-hmm. most part. Okay, it's a lot more sensitive, I would say, to the room temperature storage than, it is, than and film. Humidity. Um, paper. Yeah. Oh, what people also don't yeah. realize paper has a speed just like film. Yep. Oh, it's fast, slow papers. Interesting. Poly contrast, and then they made poly contrast rapid. Yep. Oh, very like nice. Rapid RC, faster paper. You could print 
with uh, uh, smaller f-stops, sharper print, yep. supposedly type what, of thing. What companies are making paper for your darkroom these days? Uh, wow. the, big, the big names. Ilford's still very committed to their black and white. It, they're kind of the – I would say they're now the industry standard. Black and white only? Ilford? Yes. Okay. Kentmere? Uh, Kentmere. Arista? Arista, yes. Adox? <laughs> Adox is one of them. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Photochemica? Um, Foma? Are they making paper? No more. No more. But they still have some. If you go to f- all of these, you can find at Freestyle. I knew it. Freestyle. Like, they have a great selection, and they do have some of the best prices because they are the only ones that get these papers. Does a color paper still exist? Oh, yes. Yes. Fuji. 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 Fuji rules the world in color papers. Is that right? Yes. yes. And do schools still using color paper papers and having, like, these beautiful color processors? Yes. We have... One locally that does. One, yep. Is that right? Just up north at Owens Community College in Toledo, in Toledo Ohio. They oh, yeah, yeah. do color. Yep. When I was in school, Bill on the Hill, <laughs> William Patterson University, <laughs> yeah. I took a color course and they had a color processor. Yes. Which was, you know, hot stuff back well, in those the Those are 80s. great. So you just stick it in and it yes. does the rest. Yeah. Because it really... it's, it's a very touchy process, just like all color processes. Very well, temperature. Well, it, it is. Yeah. It is. There used to be a lot of home darkrooms, though, that did color work. You could buy a box of 8 by 10 paper cut sheets yeah and we had one and this is so obscure we had a product called par color p-a-r-c-o-l-r par color was ingenious because it would do negatives or prints out of the same box they made a big deal at the time i know they're not so tricky now they would actually do a demonstration and slosh their coffee in it and make a print this stuff was so forgiving right it was it with traditional color chemistry and paper if you're off a half a degree you've thrown your pr- everything your out of whack off. your prints off so you really had to maintain that temperature really time was always the same um so it's hard to do in the home situation to keep that temperature even you make a print, you think, okay, it's a little too green, so I'm going to add green to it because of the reversal process. And you go back and you make your next print, and it's way off in another direction just because your chemistry's cooled down a little right, bit. Right, right. So it was treacherous to do. Are, you know, a lot of listeners and people we know, you know, are getting into uh, home developing, developing their negatives, making the jump from 35 millimeter to 4x5. What's the curve like? What's the vibe out there of people who want to start printing at home? But, about, you know, basic black and white. I, I really don't think the, the interest is, is nowhere near, I, I think, for printing. But the people that are into printing really, are, they're really gung-ho about it and they really it's take passion. it by the reins. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it is a special kind of a mentality for printing because you, there's a lot of failure, and I mean, compared to yeah. film, it's it's very expensive to fail now. With, I mean, with some black people and don't white have papers. space, correct? That's it's a, a space, big issue. Space is an issue, but another big issue is just just the time to build up that experience. Right. It's pretty easy to make an average print, but, but to make a stunning, beautiful, but perfect. Print, yeah, to really work that negative absolutely. into the print you want. Mm-hmm. How popular? Because I, I noticed uh, many months ago, kind folks at the Aperture Store opened up a public darkroom. Yes, is that trendy? Like, is that something you could find in like a city? Uh, big cities, yes. Um, and we're talking hundred hundred thousand plus. Right, probably could find one. Anything less, though, it's very very hard. You should take a course at a college, right? Community colleges Absolutely. are take a yes. course. Yes, yes. 
get access to a dark room much and much cheaper than any public dark room ever and mm-hmm. better accountability cuz students have to sign in someone's always yeah. cleaning up and there's chemistry there yes like everything's there for you definitely a good way yeah that's that's, that's great this is a, amazing uh, this is quite an artifact Kodak professional photographic papers it, it gives us i think a wonderful appreciation of how it used to be absolutely uh, the, the quality that they were turning out putting out I don't yeah. know, it's amazing mike you can probably tell leslie and i just light up when you talk about printing just because it's like we're printers yeah, we're printers yeah. oh, like yeah. obvi- by the time I'm an old man I'm probably not even going to be doing photography I'll probably be doing like printmaking printmaking like with ink and paper yeah. and wood and yeah just because it's everything feels handcrafted when you do it even even though there's you know there's light and chemistry taking care of it there's something handmade to the process to take uh, your you know you know, to shoot and then take, you know, process your own negative, then make your own print. It's, it must be such a sense of accomplishment to actually have something that you created start to finish. Especially, Absolutely. Especially since yes. there's nobody to blame but yourself <laughs> in the whole process. You can't blame it. it on the lab. You can't blame it on some jerk you told to print your neg. Like, it, it's just you at the end of the day. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's an even bigger rush right. when you get it right. You're like, right. yeah, I've got it. Problem in school with bullying where bullies would be like, print my neg, punk. <laughs> Like, <laughs> there must have been some kind of an issue because the University of Findlay used to have all of their easels. They would carve little notches, notches in them yep. so they knew if it was printed in-house or printed commercially or who printed what. So you know what? You might just be right about that. I know I know. Jeff does yell at students if they if they get one off the bat that, that he suspects I may have helped with. Mm-hmm. Yep, it happens. And these days, a darkroom's called a wet darkroom if you're doing chemistry and a digital well, darkroom. it's called a wet print. A wet, wet print. print. Wet a wet print. It's called yeah. a wet print. Yep. Yes. You guys have a certain face on. Is it almost insulting? No, the, no, no. The things it's, get sort of like categorized well, it's now. It's just the whole like, you know, analog film. Like oh. there's just these buzzwords yeah. for yes, everything. Exactly. And I, I embrace them because like you just have to, to to be able to talk to people on the same level. It, it is what it is. It's changing. You know, there's the dry dark room, which is the yeah. digital dark room, you know. If you sit down with, let's say, a gallery owner or if you're pitching a show. <laughs> what show? To a gallery, do you have to actually – Tell, explain to them. Oh, they, will they ask? Did you print this yourself? They will not ask. They don't. Um, for the most part, they don't seem to care. But when they do care, then you've got them. You know what I mean? Like, they want to sell you as a, as a true artist. It gives them something to talk maker. about. Yes. Exactly. So, like, if they even care at all, which some places don't, right. like a lot of the higher end places, they don't care. They're all about the image, right? Because they're trying to bridge the two the two media. Because it is. It's, just, it's all photography at the end of the day. The places that are into the handcrafted element of it, when you tell them this is a selenium tone, fiber-based, silver gelatin print, they're like, whoa. Right, right. And they want you to explain it because then they have they have a bigger pitch to the customer and a better reason for making that much more money. If someone's going to buy something that they're going to put on their wall, when they're having their cocktail party they're in their house, brag about they yeah. want to brag about how this is not... This is not some this laser not, print. This is not your ordinary print. Yeah. This is made in a dark room. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I don't buy as much photography today because it's it's not not silver. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. And they're uh, cranking them out at home. And are there um, photographers who actually sell, let's say, on eBay, like artists who sell their work on yes. or Etsy? Okay. Yes. So yes. Can I, can I rant? Oh yeah. Uh, all right. I know. Photo- I'm not going to mention names because it's going to be super positive, Matt. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> no, spin it, buddy, spin it. I respect the heck out of this photographer. Respect the heck. He sells platinum palladiums, but I, I couldn't imagine that he was selling them on eBay. But selling them because what's wrong with that? Well, I, I just thought no, eBay wasn't the place. These things are worth so much more. Oh, they kind of had that feel. I don't know, but 
But what a world audience. Yeah, that's true. What a world audience. Mm-hmm. There are people who go we'll, to, we'll, for example, we'll people who buy prints. film from FPP who d- don't buy from the site, even though it's cheaper. We'll buy it on eBay. They yeah. go to eBay. Because some people just shop on eBay. I do. Yeah. Yeah. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. It is. But, yeah, people yeah. will sell fine prints on, on eBay. Uh, on Etsy, it's very the, – the range of prints you'll find on, on Etsy is anywhere from like they dug it up out of their attic, they're moving it right. to people that like make their prints. I, I see a lot more Polaroid instant prints on Etsy. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, very much so, yes. Are these like uh, landscapes, portraits, nudes? What what sells? Landscape. Really? I, I would say landscapes because I, I haven't tried to sell on, on Etsy right. or anything like that. Is that right? Pug puppies. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that look like Nikon cameras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, so. it's it's definitely not it's definitely not what it was. Where you could just like go into a gallery with these these handmade prints, and someone knows what they are just by looking at them. Well, let me ask you a question from a gallery perspective, and someone who has been showing your art at galleries. Is it easier now, only because it's been really uh, the n- amount of photographers actually doing their own printing or professional printing when so much dig going on? Is it easier to get a show because there's so less people actually shooting traditional photography? No, oh. I think it's I think it's harder because mm-hmm. the value placed on a cell phone image printed obnoxiously large is equal there to process because right? because people don't care about the process. Yeah, I, I mean this is 100 percent honest. Like, right? There will be cell phone shots that show up at very very high end shows that I'm used to going to, like regional shows, <clears throat> and they will they'll clean up and they'll sell. And the traditional stuff will kind of it, it, people don't care. Is it is it not pitched as it's not pitched as cell phone? Just as you said, it's just about the image. It, it's about the image, or it's about this look, but that you know that the look is completely manufactured after the fact. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know this is a, a whole other argument entirely about right you know, the do it in camera, do it after think. But no, there, I think there's less value placed on it. But the people that respect it, respect it, or place it a little, place it a little higher, right. Because of it, but it, they're harder to find. They're harder to find. That's what it's going to say. Yeah, they are. Fewer but when, but when you find them, you can g- get a really good relationship going, mm-hmm. and you can really move some work. Yeah, and that's you know, if that's what you're aiming to do, it's very very hard to do. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you're not going to believe this, uh, but sadly, we're running out of time. I just want to remind everyone out there, we've we, we got everything covered for this year, right? We have some stuff left over, I know, yes. but we're going to get to it. Let's roll over. I want to remind everyone out there that uh, you can visit, visit us on Facebook, on Flickr, our very own site, filmphotographypodcast.com. No, well, the stickers look great. Yeah, new stickers in the FPP store. Uh, yeah, the stickers look really great. That's right. Lauren Bagley. <laughs> who, who, who illustrated the stickers? Lauren Bagley. Not the strudel. <laughs> Not the strudel. <laughs> That's right. Uh, we have new stickers. We always have fun, uh, awesome stuff. Like if you buy something from, from the FPP stores, there's going to be like something thrown in the box. Free swag. Yeah, free swag. Fun. Bling. Stickers. You stick it on your shirt. Stick it on your head. <laughs> stick it on your vehicle. <laughs> stick it on your vehicle. Yeah. Although, I don't know, those stickers, that they might oh. just like, you know, one rainstorm. Leslie, Leslie's just holding on. Yeah. Oh, is that on your vehicle? The, the original FPP round sticker? Oh, I'm afraid that one has... What happened to it? Did it just drift away? Um, it... It peeled. Yeah, it got all... Because I put a magnet on the back, you know, and... Oh, you did? Yeah. Did it, like, a layer of plastic peel it off? It just kind of bubbly, peely. Was it outside? Was it on your car? Yeah, it was on the Jeep, which I never put away. So... See, how long did it last? This is the good... Uh, May- maybe. Yeah, good. My gosh. I'll, I was on there at least 
six months. That's not bad. At least six months to a year, maybe. That's great, though. To put, if you don't want to yeah. stick on your car to reduce the value of your car, put it on a magnet. I did. I just peeled it off, put it on one of those yeah. self Did you replace magnets. it or not yet? Not yet. Mine's still on my tripod after a good year and a half, so. Yeah. Yeah, but you usually don't take your tripod through the car wash. Oh, look oh, at that. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, we want to hear from you out there. Uh, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Let us know what you're up to. Let us know what you're doing. If you have any questions, you can send it our way. We also have a YouTube channel. Lots of stuff going on. All about film. All about fun. It really is. And we're going to see you in only two weeks. Okay, gang, what are we eating? <laughs> okay, but this is a question I want all of us as a roundtable sometime to answer, whether we're all together on or not. On the show or off the show? On the show. Oh, oh on the this show. This is an on-the-show oh. question, but you need to think about it. Hot seat. Bonus. Yeah. Ahead. What piece of equipment, photographically, have you used consistently the longest? That's a great question and a very For important question. I, I know. I'm pretty sure I know what yours is. I got my answer. Oh, what is and mine? I, you yours is going to be your Gaussian meter, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes. I've been using my Gaussian meter since mm-hmm. nineteen consistently since nineteen eighty six. Yeah, because sometimes we put things away for years and we get them back out no, again. Always in my bag. Yes, always in your bag. Yeah. And I was just really curious. What's every? What's that going to be for all of us? Hmm. Some of you know, like Dane and Marks. At least they're not long term shooters necessarily right. like we are, but still. There's going to be a answer there. What do you got in your bag? That's I'm going. It's going to have to be my Minolta meters. Min- your Minolta meters. The tanks. I mean, okay. you have to bang those it's, things. I mean, I've got a four and a five. It's a digital readout, right? Yes. Like the old-fashioned digital readout. Like it's you know not backlit. It's just a little digital display. Um, 80s, right? Yes. Yes. The yeah. old, yes. You can't the kill them, right? Well, mine oh, are still taking. I killed mine. Mine are both flash oh. meters. <laughs> I, but, be, I banged mine up, though. It was I mean, like, the five, though, was... Mine was a three, the, so... The meter five came with a manual like this, eight yeah. and a half by 11... It's made, but still, folks out there listening, what's been in your bag? What do you consistently use nonstop? It's like, oh, you're right. That is always in my bag. It's always there. Uh, podcast at filmphotographyproject.com. Let us know. And uh, feel free to attach a little JPEG, too, of, of your, your stuff. We'll, you know, we'll post it. We'll talk about it. And we'll be back very soon with some more shoes. Always a lot of fun. I hope you're having as much fun as we have. And as, as usual, of course, we're going to leave you with some great music. And by the way, in case you didn't know, that's my new phrase, in case you didn't know, the music you hear is all generated in-house. We're a little mini factory here. Whoa. We're out shooting. But when we're not shooting, sadly not us right here sitting, but <laughs> the other guys, the other gang, John Fideli, Mark Dalzell, uh, Dane Johnson, and all their pals, uh, like Kilsey, oh, Darren Pancho Riley, now oh, da- Darren Ballard Riley. This music is all made by these folks. That we're just men- groupies. <laughs> yeah, we're just groupies. We're the groupie part. Yeah, yeah. So this is our own homegrown blend of music. Uh, check our show notes if you want to support these artists by buying their albums, and we'll see you real soon. Awesome. Hey, guys. That Pancho stuff is great. I'm building a human a bit at a time I've got 
all the parts and I've done the design Out here in my shed I can put him together Got marbles for ice and his skin is old leather Got powerful legs and there's one extra hand Cause I need a good drummer to play in my band I'm hoping he'll get me some publicity Make sure that he's more photogenic than me I've got some big ideas in store I'm gonna win a Nobel Prize for science And maybe even
There is always something for me Something always seems to call me to my room To my room There are so many distractions Giving so much satisfaction In my room In my room From the painted walls of yellow now. Mr. Garner, do you agree with Ben or do you think we can stimulate growth through temporary incentives? As long as the roots are not severed, all is well and all will be well in the garden. In the garden? Yes. In a garden, growth has its season. First comes spring and summer, but then we have fall and winter. And then we get spring and summer again. Spring and summer? Yes. <clears throat> Fall and winter. Yes. I think what our insightful young friend is saying is that we welcome the inevitable seasons of nature, but we're upset by the seasons of our economy. Yes. There will be growth in the spring. Hmm. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, Mr. Garner, I must admit that is one of the most refreshing and optimistic statements I've heard in a very, very long time. <laughs>